And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. Welcome to The Real Investment Show. Financial Fitness Friday edition. Hope everybody's off to a great start to the day this morning. I'm Danny Ratliff here with John Penn. A lot to get into today. Today is Jobs Day. Everybody is on pins and needles waiting to see what is going to happen here with these numbers. Expectations are for 250,000 uh, jobs this month. Keep in mind, I know we keep hearing information. Are we in a recession? No, we're not. Yes, we are. What is the definition? Nobody knows. It keeps changing as well. But these numbers are calculated at the beginning of each month. And I think these are going to begin to change as we've been talking about this week. We're beginning to see more and more companies out that are announcing layoffs Freezes and hiring. I think that's something that we can expect here for a little bit of time. Uh, market futures are mixed at the moment. Finished mixed yesterday. Yields are slightly up as uh, awaiting these new numbers. But big information coming overnight. The Inflation Reduction Act looks like it has all Democratic votes that they needed. Joe Manchin last week announces that he's going to come in and, and he's he's for the bill uh, with some slight changes. Senator Kristen Sinema has now she is on board as the new overnight information. So the big question is, does this actually reduce inflation? And, you know, it's really what's in a name. And unfortunately, it looks like Cong Congressional Budget Office is suggesting that it likely doesn't. Um, we're seeing that, you know, the big things are, that are within this bill are probably going to move the needle very, very little. In fact, it actually looks like it could increase inflation for the first year or two, and then we should see it subside over time. So it's calling for quite a bit new spending. Now, granted, this is not President Biden's Build Back Better plan, but it does have a few elements of it within here. And so what does this mean and, and what can we expect from it? You know, one of the big things that they're pushing is creation of a 15% corporate minimum tax rates. This is going to be for any corporations that make over a billion dollars in profits. They want to ensure that they're going to have a 15% tax rate. Uh, prescription drug price reform. I think this could be a great thing. We see these prices soar. John, you and I talk to people on a regular basis that you know we, we look at healthcare expenses, and this is a big problem. It is. But and we pay for most of the research here domestically, unfortunately, where other countries are getting, you know, much better deals on this. So this is something I think that, um, you know, everybody's for. We want to see see better things there, uh, better pricing. IRS tax enforcement. I wish they just simplify the tax code. Yeah. Well, I don't think we'll see that in our lifetime. <laughs> no, no, likely not. So uh, one of the bigger things was the closure of the carried interest loophole. Um, and it looks like that may be something that Kristen Sinema is saying, hey, she doesn't want in the bill. So they want to treat that independently. Um, and, and the big thing is that the energy security and climate change investments, a lot of money going towards that, um, you know, Affordable Care Act subsidy, continuing that. And so I think that you know, what we should expect from this, you know, it was one of these bills that we thought oh, they're not going to be able to get the votes to it. They've made enough concessions that it looks like it may actually get done. They're going to introduce it again tomorrow um, before before the Senate. We'll see where this goes, how this ends up. But it's likely going to have little to no impact on actual inflation. And just like we see most of these bills, it's really whatever the hot topic of the day is. That's what they're going to talk about. So 
Today, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We talked a lot about inflation. Uh, go to our YouTube channel, The Real Investment Show. We actually did our webinar on Inflation Nation yesterday, nine tips on how you can survive and better manage inflation. As we know, you know, everybody's dealing with it right now. You know, we've talked about people's changing travel plans. Um, you know, what are you guys doing to keep more money in your pocket? Because, you know, we look at retail sales, we look at all these numbers and, you know, from a monetary perspective, a lot of these things haven't changed much, but what you can actually purchase is drastically different. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people either postpone, delay, or kind of ratchet back their travel plans for the year, what they were going to originally spend on travel. They're really ratcheting that budget back to, to keep that money aside for, for other priorities or other things that they just need around their household. So, I mean, it's it's affecting everybody, Danny. It is, it is. And so hopefully we can find some way or, or some, some way to remediate some of these things. It looks like over time we should be seeing these things come down. I would expect to see inflation get a little bit lower. But, you know, even within this Inflation Reduction Act, from an energy perspective, there's an increase on potential uh, gas tax. Right. It's like, wait a second, did you not know where that comes from? Do you remember what... <laughs> The impact of, of, of this, especially for people down here in the South, I mean, here in Houston is in particular, we drive a lot. I mean, we don't have mass transportation like many places do. Uh, you know, it requires us to get in the car and go. Yeah. And it, to your point, you know, will this Inflation Reduction Act really reduce inflation? You were talking a little bit about the carried interest provision where they want to extend, you know, the holding period on carried interest from three years to five years to where if you can hold on to it for at least five years before you sell that's when you would get capital, more favorable tax treatment on Correct. that. And I can see why they're looking at trying to kind of close that loophole within carried interest because, you know, in the mid-90s, you know, private equity funds, there's about $100 billion in private equity funds. And that's where a lot of you, that's where you see a lot of that carried interest. Well, now there's over, you know, $4 trillion that's a in, big in private equity. But the issue is with a lot of those private funds that are holding you know, investments where they they hold property or they hold real estate, you know, a lot of these funds already are owning those particular uh, investments well over for three years. So I don't know. I just don't see, I don't see the whole carried interest, you know, provision really adding a lot to the bottom line. Well, I think the bigger part is that, you know, if you're, especially if you're going after corporations, look, this is going to be a tax on everyone yeah. one in one way or another. I mean, and here's the thing that, it, you know, the bigger part of this is that, if corporations are paying more in taxes, that's more money out of their pockets, more money off their profits, which essentially is going to be impact the workers. So it's going to impact the middle class. Who's going to be hurt the most by this? And so, you know, we're in a time that's interesting. We just saw uh, credit card debt balances at record highs. We're looking at highs over what we saw in 2008. When we had a significant problem, when we had a real recession, mm -hmm. many layoffs, much more than what we've seen today. And we're already seeing this record debt level, that's not a good sign. So people are, or instead of saying, hey, we're going to batten down the hatches, like you mentioned, you're talking to people who are saying, hey, we're going to reduce spending. We're going to find other alternatives. These people are saying, we're just going to put it on debt. And we know the numbers of what people are spending on an annualized basis just to maintain their lifestyle. Well, guess what? It's gotten a lot higher. And if you're going to raise taxes, if you're going to raise taxes on corporations, it's going to have that indirect consequence. And this is not something you do in a recession from a tax perspective. It, it, it just, I, I can't see this working out well in that aspect. Yeah, I, 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 I feel the same way. Um, and I just know just higher rates are, you know, you were talking about credit card debt and how that's affecting families. And, you know, maybe a lot of folks don't realize if they're 
what their rates are at or how they're adjusting. You know, if, if folks right. are continuing to use debt, I know if, if I see my interest rates on my credit cards going up higher, you know, if I'm carrying a lot of credit card debt, I want to get that paid off as fast as I can. You know, a lot of, well, you know, a lot of the folks that we work with, they use credit cards very wisely. They use it to, to take care of all of their expenditures every month and they pay it off by the end of the month. So they don't pay that interest and they use that as, a, as really as a budgeting tool. But higher rates is affecting everybody, just even higher mortgage rates. You know, our, our oldest daughter had an internship this summer at a mortgage financing company. And in the month of July, they had less than, you know, five or six requests. Wow. And now they're having to reduce hours just because it, the demand is so slow. Well, you, you imagine, I mean, to refinance right now, it doesn't make sense for many people if we've seen the rates so low for so long. Yeah. The expectations, we'll see where these things go. We're talking about that more. Get back to eight things you need to know about retirement. What type of accounts do you use? So if you listen to The Real Investment Show, we'll be right back after this quick break. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA Advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. Get started right now at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, or simply call our toll-free number, 855-RIA-PLAN, or again, simply online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to The Real Investment Show, Financial Fitness Friday. I'm Danny Ratliff here with John Penn. So a lot to get into today. We've been getting a lot of questions. You know, we're here in Q3. First half of the year is done. Getting almost back to school, which... Uh, thank goodness. Yes, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> Sorry, couldn't yeah. help it. <laughs> no, no. I, I think uh, everybody who's at home, homemakers... Husbands, wives, everybody alike is screaming, you know, screams of joy. Yes, it's kind of bittersweet. It's all the back to school expenses, books, and all those good things. But at the same time, it's it's time. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> I think summer has has become a lot shorter than what it used to be when mm -hmm. we were growing up, and school supplies have gotten a heck of a lot more expensive. And I know it's probably a little bit of the inflation aspect, but the things they require them to get and do. It's, it's through the roof. I mean, I'm like, man, we're going to have to take a truckload just to drop off for the three of them in our house just to, to get their stuff up there. I mean, and, and bring a couple, uh, you know, trailers and trailers. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our, both of our, our kids are a little older, so they're, they're both in college. Our oldest is going to start her senior year this year. Can I get an amen on that? So, um, it, and just looking at school supplies and books and you know they actually both of our girls were very fortunate they they, they kind of watched the bottom line and what they spend on their school expenses you know if they have to buy books outright it's not like the old days where i had to actually buy a textbook mm -hmm. or textbooks and haul them 
to class than I was in school. Now everything is you know, really online, or they can buy kind of an ebook, and it's you know at least the books are a little bit more reasonable in that regard. Yeah, right? that's so you do be save nice. a little bit there, but you know, everything else is. Through I the remember roof. we were buying used books. Oh yeah, try to find the cheapest ones, and you'd sell them back. And oh, I remember just so I could have gas money to come home. At the end of yeah. the semester, I would go sell my books back. And man, I felt great having $75 or $100 in my pocket. That's right. Well, you, the sad thing is you probably bought it for two or 300 bucks. That book, it's been used for 10 years. Yeah, and yeah that's the way it goes. But so you're know, talking about kids and really anybody in general, this is when we started looking at, okay, getting towards the end of the year, how are we doing on finances? Mm-hmm. Um, where are you putting funds? And what type of accounts can you use? And I think this is one of the bigger parts. And so I want to spend a little bit of time just talking about what types of IRAs, retirement accounts, what is out there and how or when you should use them. And unfortunately, there's so much information and there's so many different avenues that you can look at that we find out many times, John, that you know they're not being used properly. There's misinformation or, you know, we just don't know what we can do. Right. And benefits go unused. And so let's talk a little bit about, let's start with, you know, just the basics, right? A, a, a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. Break down the differences for us and, and tell us a little bit about each one and why you'd want to use them. Well, sure. Well, one, in order to be in order to be able to contribute to either a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, one, you have to have earned income, right? So first of all, you have to have earned income. And so with a traditional IRA, when you make your contribution to a traditional IRA, then you can typically deduct that contribution. It's, it's a deductible contribution to a traditional IRA. And then when you put that money into the traditional IRA, all of the growth, everything that it earns, it grows tax deferred. And then later in life, when you have to start taking money out of that traditional IRA, especially when you're you know, the current age is when you're 72 years young, you have to take what is called a required minimum distribution. That is when you pay the tax on, on those distributions coming out. Or if you take distributions out before then, if you take any money out before 59 and a half, there may be a 10% um, early withdrawal penalty on that. There are some exceptions, which, which we can get into here in a little bit. Um, with a Roth IRA, when you make a contribution to a Roth, it's not a deductible contribution. You're, you're putting after-tax dollars. You've already paid taxes on that money that goes into the Roth IRA. But then once the money's in the Roth, all the growth, everything that it earns, dividends, interest, et cetera, whenever the money comes out later in life, it's all tax-free, and there is not a requirement to take money out of a Roth IRA when you are 72. So actually, the money can stay in the Roth throughout your lifetime and continue to grow tax-free. Now, but there are issues, though. Not everybody can qualify to contribute to a Roth IRA, right, Danny? That's right. So so this is an area where you, you want to start looking at income because you can be phased out depending on how much money you make. So if you're single, you make between 129000 and 144000 you're going at 129,000, you'll begin to just only be able to contribute a smaller amount. And there's there's a formula for that. We're not gonna get into that and bore you with that here on air today. But, and then if you make over 144,000, you cannot contribute at all to the Roth IRA. So a lot of people may say, hey, you know what? I make too much money, I cannot use it. Um, now, if you're married filing jointly, that number starts at 204,000 and goes to 214. So, you know, these are things to keep in mind and you wanna make sure that you're you're aware of what the income looks like for your for you and your spouse, um, and understand what your limitations may or may not be. Now, if you contribute too much throughout the year, you can do recharacterization, pull those funds out. However, if you do a Roth conversion, which we have a lot of people who are doing those, and especially getting towards the end of the year, we're certainly looking at mm-hmm. these uh, uh, quite a bit more. This is something you you cannot recharacterize a Roth conversion. So understand they're two different things. 
Um, the other caveat with the traditional IRA is that if you're not covered by a workplace retirement plan, so you don't have a 401k, there are no income limitations. You can put funds aside and utilize this and get a tax deductible contribution. Now, the caveat is you can always contribute to one, but you may not be able to, to deduct um, your contributions to the account. And then you'll have to keep up with that year after year and actually file an IRS form, which can be problematic because each and every year you're going to have to calculate what your contributions that were after tax into that traditional IRA. So historically, if somebody's going to do that, we would say, hey, if you have pre-tax and after tax, let's create two separate accounts, keep them completely separate and make sure accounting a little bit easier. That's right. Yeah. So to your point, you can, as long as you have the earned income, you can always make a contribution to a traditional IRA. The question is whether if you're covered by a qualified plan, or maybe if you're married and you're, maybe you're not covered by a qualified plan, but your spouse is, then there can be, there's some income limitations there where your contribution to that traditional IRA may not be fully deductible, or you may not be able to deduct it at all. You know, something around this whole you know, kind of this area of, of Roths. Sorry, I know I'm bouncing around here a little bit here, Danny, but um, sometimes there's a lot of confusion around, well, I make too much money, so I, I know I can't contribute to a Roth IRA. So, John, I, I hear this a lot. Well, John, I make too much money. I can't convert to a Roth. I can't convert money from my traditional IRA to my Roth IRA. And that is not true. It no, does you not can... matter. You, it doesn't matter what your income is. It doesn't matter what your AGI is. You can convert assets from your traditional IRA to your Roth it's just when that conversion occurs, you have to, that becomes you know, taxable income. Well, that's right. You need to be mindful of a couple of things. You need to be mindful of uh, you know, what your, your AGI is, mm -hmm. how old you are, what are you near Medicare age, near 65, because there's a two-year look-back period that they can adjust your Medicare premiums up if you have too much earned income. And so we want to be very uh, deliberate as far as when we make these types of conversions. But there is no income limitation on a conversion. Now, granted, if you're in a very, very high tax bracket, we may be able to make an argument that maybe it's not the best thing for you to do. Right. And so many times we may say, hey, skip it this year. Next year looks better. Um, or we think taxes are going to go through the roof. And, and, you know, I do have some clients that say, hey, I'm going to get as much out of here. I know I'm making a lot of money. Um, I want to get as much out of these types of accounts as I can because... I think regardless of how much money I make, we're going to see income taxes go way up. And so some some people may be a little may be more inclined to be more aggressive in that type of environment or the that mindset that taxes are going to increase. And look, I think we're seeing it today, the Inflation Reduction Act, there's going to be some ways that taxes will likely increase there. There's many other pieces of legislation out there that are suggesting we will see higher taxes. If we look at the the spending that the government does, I mean, um you know, if you and I spent money like they did, we'd be in trouble. In fact, a lot of people are. I mean, look at the credit mm -hmm. card debt. Yeah. But these are things that, that you know, you need to think about. And this is what's important. So, you know, another thing I think that is easily overlooked, John, is that how many times have you had somebody say, you know what, I make too much money for the Roth IRA. I can't put money into the Roth 401k either. You're reading my mind. I'm because they get them confused, yeah. right? It's They think it's the same thing. But, but you can with the Roth 401k. That's right. Yeah, so... And we're seeing more employers offer a Roth 401k option within plans. It used to be that a Roth 401k was, you know, kind of, what is that? What, what, I don't, I've never heard of that before. It's becoming a little bit more mainstream. Not every employer offers it, but we're seeing more of it where, where you have the ability to contribute pre-tax dollars to a, like a traditional 401k plan, or you can contribute after-tax dollars to a Roth 401k. 
And you're right, Danny. I hear a lot that, you know, hey, I make too much money. You know, my, my spouse and I, you know, our AGI, our combined AGI is too high. I can't put money into a Roth IRA. I'm not allowed. So therefore, I'm not able to contribute to my Roth 401k. And that is not the case. It does not matter what your AGI is. If you have a Roth 401k option through off, available to you through your employer, by all means, you can contribute to that. Yep, and I think that's something that, that many people need to take advantage mm -hmm. of. And so keep in mind, any of the matching uh, contributions that your employer will give you will still go to your pre-tax. There has been talk and actually discussions and new legislation there that they can potentially use that or move those funds towards paying off uh, student loan debt, put those funds towards a Roth. I mean, we may see some changes come with that. But for the time being, this is something that I think, you know, go and look. And a lot of times it's not as easy to find as you would think when you go open up your 401k, you know, can you do after-tax or pre-tax contributions? Uh, many people just don't know it's there. They said it and forgot it years ago. And I would make those changes. I'd also encourage you, if you're using a 401k and you're not going to go in there on a regular basis, make sure that you're going in and you're putting that it increases at least by that 1%. Many plans will now offer mm -hmm. the ability to say, hey, you know, each year you're going to increase your contribution by 1%. I think that's an easy thing to do. You see a slight reduction in pay if you're doing pre-tax. It's not a whole lot. Um, you know, it, it's very, very little as far as the big difference. And I think that that's, a, that's one way that people can kind of get ahead of this big retirement curve that ha people have. Yeah, it's sometimes you look at the number, you say, you know, how much do you really need to have set aside to have a comfortable retirement? And sometimes that number can be very overwhelming. And to Danny's point, if you can just start now and just kind of set those contributions to increase on a regular basis, kind of put that on autopilot, the difference every year isn't that noticeable, but in the long run, it really adds up. That's right. Hey, you're listening to The Real Investment Show. Go check us out on YouTube. Click the like button. We're going to be right back, finish up this conversation on retirement plans, what you can and can't do. Uh, you're listening to The Real Investment Show. We'll be back after this break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to The Real Investment Show. I'm Danny Ratliff here with John Penn. Talking about where you should and maybe shouldn't put funds. What are the retirement options out there for you? And so talk a little bit about just the basics, traditional IRA versus Roth IRA, how you can contribute to 401ks. There's a lot of different options out there, but I want to just go back just a tad bit and talk a little bit more about you know, what are the limitations, right? So 
with inside, if you can, and, and understanding we've already talked about income limitations and you know income limitations on tax deductions or even being able to contribute, for a traditional or a Roth IRA, if you're under 50, you can contribute $6,000. If you're over 50, you have a $1,000 catch-up provision. Now, within your 401k, it's, it's very similar in the sense that you can contribute a little bit more once you reach the age of 50. However, the income that you can put aside is much higher. So you can put aside $20,500 inside that 401k for 2022 if you're under 50. Now, you get a $6,500 catch-up provision for those 50 and older, making that $27,000 that you could set aside. Um, you know, I think it's really important to understand you can contribute. If you have the Roth, there are no income limitations. Uh, make sure that you understand you know, where you think you may be in the future. And keep in mind, there's many times we, we, we visit with a lot of different people that they've never been told about Medicare premium surcharges. Mm -hmm. They've never been told about Social Security being taxable and what the impact is. So our goal is, as we visit with people, is trying to determine where are some of the best places you can put funds aside. And it may be a little counterintuitive to what the 401k or retirement industry has told us year after year after year in the sense of put everything pre-tax, put everything pre-tax. And it may be a conspiracy theory, but we've talked about this on the show before on Fridays that, you know, hey, they want to get as much money in those accounts as they can. But we want to keep as much money in your pocket as we can. And so a lot of this is going to be sound counterintuitive from time to time, like a Roth conversion. Why would I pay taxes now when I can defer them till later? Well, we don't know what they're going to do with taxes. I would suggest they're going to raise them. Uh, we also know that at age 72, they're going to require you to start taking distributions. And if you want to retain any type of flexibility from a taxation standpoint, you need funds in other areas and other buckets that you can pull from that are going to give you a little bit more tax flexibility and leeway. And if everything we have is inside that pre-tax bucket, everything you pull out is taxable. And the way I always equate this is, and John, you've, you've probably heard me say this too mm -hmm. many times, but you have to think of every one of these deferred compensation accounts, any of the 403B, 457, 401K, anything that you're putting these funds in to be pre-tax. It is a business partnership with between you and Uncle Sam. And it's a unique one in the sense that they can always change how much they own. So I don't like that. I want to make sure that I can keep more money in my pocket and your pocket. And that's the key all along the way. So that's why we think these types of conversations are really important. I agree. <clears throat> yeah, and it's um, it's not uncommon for for individuals to that that uh, that we work with or that we're introduced to. They're they're great savers, Danny, but they've they've really been kind of trained or nobody's really educated them on, hey, maybe does it make sense to put some money in an after tax or make some after tax contributions to a Roth or where if they weren't able to, does it make sense to go ahead and convert? And again, nobody knows what the future holds, but do we think income taxes are going to be less in the future? Probably not. So yes, if you convert money today, you have to look at the numbers, see if it just even makes sense. But if you convert money to from a traditional IRA to a Roth, yes, you have to pay taxes today. But at least you're paying at today's rates, which are known. I mean, who knows what the future holds? And you know, Dandy, you brought up a great point earlier with you know every time you take a distribution out of a traditional IRA, that's all taxable income. That that is all part of the calculation as far as what you pay for your Medicare Part B. Part D premiums that affects how your social security is taxed. So it's nice if you have, it's one thing to have a diversified portfolio or a diversified investment strategy. You want to have a diversification of accounts. So that way, as you do get older, you have different accounts that you can pull from selectively to, to help manage your taxes in a more efficient manner.
Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. So that's the point. Um, you know, some other questions we've been getting is that what if I set up multiple accounts? What's the impact there? And this is where people can get in trouble because they say, well, look, I'm going to go set up a traditional IRA here. I'm going to set one at XYZ Bank, ABC Bank, and we're going to go and, and we're going to make the contribution everywhere. And this can be a, this can really create an issue. Yeah, it can. So you, you even if you have 10 IRAs out there, the maximum that you could put in your total contribution amongst those 10, if you're under 50, is six is six thousand dollars. If you're over 50, you have that catch up you know clause where you can put in an, an additional thousand dollars. So you're capped at seven thousand dollars. So but so your your total contribution across all those various IRAs cannot exceed that limit. Yeah, that's exactly right. So another big thing that we hear is that, okay, well, I'm going to put funds aside, but I plan on retiring way earlier than 59 and a half. So keep in mind with these accounts, if you're in a traditional IRA, funds do have to remain in the account up until 59 and a half to avoid a 10% penalty plus paying taxes on these funds. Now, if you're in a Roth IRA, you have a five-year limitation as well where the funds have to season for at least five years. So once you make that contribution, you need to let these these funds sit in the account for five years before you start taking distributions of any earnings to avoid a penalty plus uh, tax on those earnings. So that's another important caveat. Now, there is a, an exception to the rule when it comes to traditional IRAs or 401ks and how you can make distributions from them. So this is called something called it's a it's a tax provision 72T. And this is one thing that, you know, I'm seeing more and more people utilize. Seems like, especially with the pandemic, John, people said, hey, take this job and shove it. I'm going to retire. But there's some stipulations surrounding that as well. Yeah, it's uh, so it's it's 72T or it's called substantial equal payments. Yep. And so it's a way where you can have your IRA account, the pool of funds within the IRA. There's calculations involved to to basically you know generate, you know, a monthly income stream where you're taking distributions out of the traditional IRA prior to being 59 and a half. Now, yes, when those distributions come out, they are taxable. It is it is considered taxable income, but you don't have to pay the 10% early withdrawal penalty. And you have to maintain the the flow of those substantial, uh, of those 72T payments until you're at least 59 and a half or five years, whichever is greater. Yes, yeah, so that five-year number seems right. to be pretty prevalent. Um, so keep in mind as far as how you're going to make distributions is very important. You do need to make sure, and this is another reason why we suggest not putting everything that you have inside of these retirement accounts. Now, we get a question a lot of times is that I, I want to leave a big legacy. And, and this has changed because we used to be able to stretch these IRAs out. That's no longer the case. So this there's a new law that says you have to take distributions within a 10-year time frame. In fact, Lance and I talked about this on Wednesday that – it was a 10-year time frame. Legislation and guidance from last year, they said, hey, it doesn't matter when you take it. There's no, used to be you could take it over your life expectancy, depending on if the heir had already begun taking their required minimum distributions or not. Uh, if you're in a non-spousal IRA, so assuming you want to leave these funds to your children, because if you pass, your spouse gets it automatically, just as it's their own funds, no big deal. But if both of you were to pass, or you were to pass and leave it to a non-spouse beneficiary, now there's a 10-year window they have to take the funds out. And as of just recently, the IRS is now saying that, well, we, we're going to change how we want you to take these, these distributions. Instead of it just being any time within a 10-year time frame, now there's going to be a formula for that that 
it, it's going to be a, a what a nightmare to have to go back and try to figure this out. Yeah, it's more of like more of an annual distribution. It, it is going to be annual. Yeah, because it, it used to it used to read that the money had to come out by the end of the tenth year. Well, and if you wait until if it's a if you inherit a traditional IRA, and if you let's say you you keep the money in that inherited traditional IRA and you don't take it all out until the end of the tenth year, you're taking out one big chunk, one big lump sum, and that's all going to be taxable at that period of time. But now you may actually need to take a distribution, a required minimum distribution from your inherited IRA if you're a non-spouse. And you, you may need to take a distribution out every year. And there have been a, a couple of folks lately, Danny, that I visited with who unfortunately their, their mom or their dad passed away. And their dad was of the age where he, you know, maybe they were in their mid to late 80s and they were already taking their required minimum distributions but they hadn't taken the required minimum distribution yet for 2022 because you have up until the end of the year to take it out for this year. Well, the account owner passed away without taking their RMD yet. So now the person, the non-spouse beneficiary that's inheriting that IRA, they have to take out two required minimum distributions this year. One that their parent didn't take yet. And then one that they have to take out for being the non-spouse beneficiary. So that's two distributions yep. that they have to pay the tax on. That's right. And you have to keep in mind, if, even if your spouse passes and they haven't taken the RMD, that required minimum distribution, you will still have to take that out of their account. If you have a, an account of your own, you'll have to take it all out at the same time. And so it's easy because you have some multiple balls in the air. And it's, it's really important to understand that you know, get your ducks in a row, understand where everything is, understand the implications of it. Meet with your advisor. And I think this is really an important thing. You know, we have a lot of uh, clients that will come to us say, look, we're very good at managing money. However, I know I'm getting older. I know that if something were to happen to me, I want my spouse to be taken care of. So I want to work with an advisor who has similar goals, philosophies, and who can articulate these things and also help in the event something were to happen. Yeah. And so, you know, Unfortunately, you know, you do this long enough, you get a lot of experience with this. And so we go through, um, you know, quite, quite a bit of these scenarios over, over time. And, you know, it's, it's never fun, but it is something that I think is, is really needed. Another thing, update your beneficiaries, guys. Yes. How many times do you see it, John, where just nobody has a beneficiary down or it's the wrong beneficiary, the beneficiary's passed. And you want to talk about creating headaches when somebody passes. That is probably headache number one. I saw that this week. Yeah. All beneficiaries right. on one account but not designated on the other oh man Very so common. important we'll talk about this we're going to finish up this conversation when we get back hey check us out on youtube real investment advice uh, go to realinvestmentadvice.com newsletters come out every weekend every day daily commentary we'll be right back after this quick break daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive 
as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to Financial Fitness Friday of the Real Investment Show. I'm Danny Ratliff here with John Penn. So had a long conversation about different types of retirement accounts, what you should be doing. You know, are you updating beneficiaries? Do you understand taxation, income limitations? I mean, so many things and so many variables with this. And I think it's easy to overlook, um, you know, or, or not even have these types of conversations. And mm-hmm. so keep in mind when we're talking about this that it may not pertain to each and every one of you and some of you guys may be business owners and maybe you have other avenues and that is one thing that we do specialize here at at RIA is understanding different types of accounts what you should be doing to minimize or you know prevent taxes in the future and so the goal is is to to keep as much money in your pocket as possible so there are other options if you're a business owner you could look at a SEP, a simplified employee pension plan. If you're a small business, generally that's a really good account for somebody who does not have um, a lot of W-2 employees. Maybe they're 1099, or you're just a mom and pop shop, and it's just the two of you or family. Um, simple IRAs are another good avenue. So you know, a SEP and a simple IRA, you can put a little bit more aside than you can with your other types of accounts. Limitations are very similar to uh, on a SEP. They're similar to a, a what you can do for a 401k, mm-hmm. you know, all in with employer contributions as well. Um, a simple, you can put up to 14000 You have a 3% um, contribution for employees. But, you know, we just always have to be mindful of the different caveats. We also do a lot of 401ks, profit sharing plans, defined benefit plans for somebody who's out there making a lot, wanting to put aside as much as possible. So lots of different avenues and alternatives and things that you can do. Um, I think that, you know, understanding what best suits you is really important. And then not only that, but understanding, okay, how do you invest for the time frame that we're in or the time horizon that you may have that can change for a lot of different people. Um, so what are other big questions you get about retirement accounts, John? I mean, I know there's so many different things that, that people look at and you're probably getting a lot every day. Yeah, or just you know, common question that I've been getting a lot of too is you know sometimes with a with a with a married couple, you know, let's say one is maybe one of the spouses is you know has earned income and is out there you know working, and the other is you know probably doing most of the work, taking care of the household and taking care of the kids. They probably don't have actual you know quote unquote earned income, but they probably have the 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 more stressful job with running the household. Well. You know, you know, if for, for with a married couple, if if one spouse has earned income and the other one does not, the uh, the spouse with the earned income can make a spousal contribution uh, for let's say uh, for the IRA of, of 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 your wife or husband, whoever you know, whichever party that is. So you can make a spousal contribution to an IRA. So if you're under fifty, you know, one is working, one is not. You know, you can still put $6,000 into an IRA for yourself, and you can put $6,000 into an IRA for your spouse. Or if you're over 50, you can do a total of $14,000, $7,000 a piece. So sometimes we see that and so there's some get a lot of questions around that too, Danny. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think that, you know, that's important to know, understanding that if you can contribute, if your spouse is still working or has right. access to a 401k or some type of retirement plan, um, 
you know, what about, um, you know, we talked a little bit about RMDs and, and what that looks like. I think it's important to understand how those need to be taken and when, because that's a lot of times often overlooked, especially there's been a lot of changes. We went from 70 and a half just recently to 72. Mm-hmm. There was a graduation period. Now we're talking about going to 72 to 75 potentially. Um, no, nothing has been passed on that, but there has been quite a bit of talk. Another thing that I think is really important is, you know, Social Security. How do you take that surrounding this? How do you bridge that time and, and hopefully defer and delay um, and then keep as much money, you know, long term? You know, I think people overlook that. We're talking about spouses mm-hmm. and how do you contribute, but also how do you take these benefits over time to make sure that you get the most? And unfortunately, when we talk about Social Security, we see a lot of times people take it way too early. Too early. And it impacts them. You take a discount as far as what you would get from your primary insurance amount, which is the amount you get at full retirement age. And then you have to think if you're the breadwinner and you took it early, well, your spouse, if you pass, is going to get a significantly reduced benefit as well. And so you don't always get as much as you can out of it, especially if you live long. So now there are times if you have a terminal illness, you have something that's, uh, you know, you're not in great health, you need the money. I mean, sometimes you have to take it. Um, but a lot of times people don't realize that they take it early, then they have other income, and it offsets. They have benefits withheld, so now they have a reduced benefit altogether, and you're paying it all back. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that we see a lot just because they say, you know what, I'm getting every dollar that I can out of it. So that's something that we do as well as Social Security maximization. And so understanding, you know, what does that look like for you long term? What are some of the things out there that um, you know you need to be mindful of, and how do you keep as much there? get as much out of the system as you can. And so we hear a lot of these things and we talk about how are sometimes people are taken advantage of with really slick marketing, right? Um, Social security is going away. Look, yeah, it's going to change, right? We, we all hear the numbers. I mean, we've heard the numbers that, you know, it's going to be reduced year after year. Um, you know, congressional budget office comes out, the social security trust comes out and says, Hey, we can go until X, Y, Z year. And right now it's still 2035 with about a 20% reduction in benefits. They're going to have to make changes. It's not going to be popular, just like most of these bills. <laughs> but it, it'll be subtle changes over time that I think will be beneficial. But, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, you can invest. You hear on the radio ads as well. Well, you can invest and never lose money. And you hear about a lot of different avenues and, and things that people can do. Tell some of the, maybe walk us through a little bit about what you see out there, John. Yeah, just um, just investment scams or, or folks even just trying to you know, steal your identity. But just from an investment scam standpoint, you know, it's, you know, stats are out there where one out of every 10 of us are going to be subject to some sort of a, a scam or scheme at some point in our life. You know, unfortunately, the, the folks that are usually targeted the most are, are, the, are the elderly. Right. Especially right right now, because, you know, know, yes, short term interest rates are rising. You're starting to see, you know, some higher rates on on things like some short term cash alternative CDs, individual treasuries. But um, in a low interest rate environment, when it's really hard for folks to find income, folks know that usually it's the elderly out there that need income or they're looking for something to help them with with, you know, create income with their with their investment portfolio. So they are typically targeted for for investment scams more more than most so you have to you have to just watch out and just be just be on alert because folks are pretty crafty with how they're trying to get information to you or take your information or just to to get your funds and so you have to kind of put your guard up a little bit and if something is just too good to be true it probably is 
But uh, but usually these investment scams come across as you know guaranteeing higher returns that maybe you're you know if if you know, if a if a short term CD is paying two point four two point seven five percent and somebody's offering you five or six or seven. I don't know about that. That you know that that's a little egregious. There, that's just too good to be true. Well, right? it is, and if it's too good to be true, it likely is. And you know, I've heard of you know some of these strategies that were going around with crypto that were just mm-hmm. like, huh, this doesn't make sense. You're going to do what every single month? You're going to double your money? Well, if that was the case, why wouldn't we all know about it? Why was yeah. wasn't everybody doing it at the same time? But you make a really good point about the CDs. I can remember back when Alan Stanford was out issuing these CDs at eight and nine. I remember too. When everybody was at four or five percent during that time frame, and you know Bank of Antigua, and, and I mean, when you get in this type of environment, you know that when you start hearing these things, something should trigger and say, okay, maybe something's not right here. Um, and those are probably some of the easier ones. I mean, those are the ones that you know. It's just, I hate to say it, common sense, because I know people that that had money there and, and actually went through this that are very smart, right? It's easy to get caught up in it and say, well, my buddy's done this for years or my relative. And you know what? It's no, no big deal. It's, it's okay. Everything's on the up and up. And you know what? Probably most of the time it is because we only hear about the bad ones. And those are few and far between. But there is a special place for people to take advantage of people like that. Um, I'm not going to say it on air, but uh, <laughs> you know where I'm going. But, you know, there's, that's probably the more the headline news. There's a lot more to it that I think people – very subtly. I mean, we hear about it all the time. You know, running an investment firm, we hear from people that, uh, hey, my bank account was hacked. They took X amount of money out. We need to make sure that, you know, we stop any transfers to it. We're opening a new account. Um, but sometimes we put ourselves in harm's way by clicking on things we shouldn't. That's exactly right. I, I mean, I get emails in my personal email box where it says, hey, fax was delivered. The fax that you were waiting for was delivered. Click here to, to load your, your document. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I didn't ask anybody to fax something to me, so there's no way I'm clicking on this. And who knows, if I click on that, then all of a sudden somebody takes over my PC or they're in there on my hard drive or who knows what they're trying to do. So uh, just here recently, our youngest daughter, who's starting her sophomore year in college, had an email come through from Apple saying that there was a problem with her account okay. and that it was overdrawn or that it was, it was unpaid. And she was looking at it and she said, Dad, would you come here for it? Because she's you know, home right now. She said, Dad, will you come here and take a look at this email? And it looked really legit. I mean, it had the Apple logo on there, the font, everything was really well done. There was one word in the fine print that was misspelled. Down underneath, your, your account is overdrawn. And she said, Dad, look at this. And I said, well, let's go. Let's, I said, don't click on that. Let's go check your account. And sure enough, she was paid up and it wasn't over, overdrawn. But if she would have clicked on that link that came through saying that she was unpaid, it was definitely somebody phishing or a hacker or whatever that may be. So, you know, emails and things today look so legit, but you just, if it doesn't seem right when you get it, it probably isn't. John, I think I get one of those a day. I'm yeah. even getting um, random uh, text messages now, like, hey, yeah. click this uh-huh. link. I'm like, no, sir, not today, Satan. Uh, and, and listen, <laughs> these things happen. It's unfortunate. You know, we'll talk more about these, some of the things you can step up, your security, how to protect yourself here. We'll do that next week. But thanks for joining us. This is a Real Investment Show. Hey, please go by the YouTube page. Check us out. Go to realinvestmentadvice.com. Go click on the newsletter. We've got a lot of new events coming up. Can't wait to announce. Uh, so y'all stay tuned. Thanks for joining us. Everybody have a safe and happy weekend. We'll see you next week. Money, 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 must be fun.
to his match.